to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Thessalonians chapter 2. Looking at the reason why Paul is writing this second letter to the Thessalonians, it's happened anywhere from a, a few weeks up to even up to a year after he wrote the first letter to the Thessalonians. He had talked to them about uh, end times events and and the rapture of the church, I believe, is what he was talking about. And, and we looked at that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as we made our way through that. Um, but somewhere along the line, after Paul's letter had been read to the Thessalonians and the Laodiceans, uh, you remember I've made a, a point to emphasize the Laodiceans because this church in Thessalonica pretty much fizzled out after a, a few years and it kind of was absorbed into the Laodicean church. And when we look at the Laodicean church, we look at the book of Revelation, and in chapter 3 of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, we see that there are seven churches that Jesus talks about in the last days. One of the churches that he talks about, the last church he speaks about is the church of Laodicea. And the church of Laodicea, which is what these two letters were written to, they were written to the Thessalonians and the Laodiceans. Paul said, share these with the Laodiceans. And and so we see that there was one thing that happened. They died out. Something happened. They were, they were excited about the Lord, but somewhere along the line, they got cold in their faith. They got, they got tepid. They, 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 they cooled off in their walk with the Lord and they, they stopped doing the things right and they began to do things according to popular opinion maybe they 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 became worldly they they cooled down to a point where there was just no more fire in them uh this last week i think i i shared something uh, i believe even out of that passage in one of the uh, devotions that i'm sending out to you guys on a on a it's not a day by day thing it just happens when it happens you know and so uh, I'm walking down and I'll take a picture of something, you know, the flower, for instance. I took a picture of a flower this last week and it just fascinated me amongst all the dead and dormant and, you know, trees. And it just fascinated me that something so beautiful and vibrant uh, could could actually be, you know, there amongst so many uh, ugly you know, uh, brown and dark trees, you know, and I know that a, a lot of you don't, don't know what I'm talking about, but I, I, that was in Philadelphia. Isn't that a pretty flower? It's a cabbage flower, but it was amongst just a bunch of, uh, just a bunch of dead, dormant, deciduous trees. And, and you look at it and you think, man, look at the contrast. Look at the contrast. Now, some of these, these trees, were alive. This tree right here, I believe it's a crepe myrtle. It's alive, but it doesn't look alive. It is alive, but it's not alive. And and the one thing that Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, he says, listen, you're, you've, you've cooled off. You're cold. You're, you're, I'm sorry, you're, you're lukewarm. You're, you're, 
kind of cold, kind of warm, but you're not hot and you're not cold. I would that you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. And you think of that for a second. And lukewarm anything just really isn't a good thing. Ice cold water, good. Hot water, nice sip, warms you, you know, warms you up in cold weather, you know. Lukewarm water, it's just not really, it's just not, have you ever had like lukewarm milk? Uh, you know, it's, it's, Jesus says, you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. Jesus' words, not mine. He, he can be pretty rough when he says this. He says, I want to spew you out of my mouth. He says, I, it upsets my stomach and I want to throw you up, basically, is what he's saying. And, and, and the idea is, is that the, the church in the last days that John was writing about in the book of Revelation, seven churches that he dealt with, one of them being Laodicea, one of them being that who First and Second Thessalonians were written to, had some of the worst comments from Jesus, Laodicea. Because you're neither hot nor cold, but you're, but you're lukewarm, you make me want to spew, I, I, want, I will spew you out of my mouth. It's not a good indication of their vibrancy. They weren't this cabbage flower that was brilliant. They were just lukewarm. And, and, and so it's in that, that this is second letter that Paul is writing is a trying to address it's trying to address and trying to keep these guys hot, trying to keep these guys warm, trying to keep these guys moving forward because there was deceivers that were coming in. And obviously somewhere along the line, they got in and they, they rooted. But at this point in time, they hadn't. And Paul was trying to thwart that and, and, and bring them, uh, bring them along and, and try to clarify some of the things that they were so confused on. He says in verse 1, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, this is Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, we ask you, the word ask is more of an exhort. We exhort you, we strongly, strongly encourage you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Now, you know, as we've talked a little bit about this before, other teachers had come in besides Paul and had come in and begun to twist what Paul had said in First Thessalonians, in First Thessalonians, the first letter. They came in and they said, oh, the day of the Lord had come. Oh, it's already here. The, you know, the Lord has already come. The wrath of God is already upon you. And there started to become some confusion other teachers than Paul, as well as even some within the church that misinterpreted Paul's letter when he was with them before, or when he had written to them before, and even others that sought to maybe spiritualize their own thoughts by saying that they had heard from the Lord. And even finally, those who would go so far as to actually forge a letter. That's what Paul said. As if there was a letter from us. We didn't write this letter. 
So somebody actually forged a letter saying that it was from Paul, twisting what Paul was, what Paul had taught, trying to get the church of Thessalonia and, and Laodicea to sway to their way of thinking. And, and Paul says, listen, don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or even by a letter from us as if, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come because it hadn't happened. That's the reason Paul wrote this second letter to the Thessalonians. And because of that, in chapter 3, we aren't going to touch that this week, because of the wrong misinterpretation, Paul has to correct in chapter 2 their erroneous understanding of the end times, but also in chapter 3, the result of them understanding that they were in the day of the Lord or in God's wrath, if you will. God's wrath. And, And now to be fair, understand this. The difficult times that these believers were experiencing caused them to wonder if they were in fact in this great tribulation time that Paul had talked about, where they were experiencing God's wrath. This goes to show that that being a believer in their day, it, it was a difficult task. Their confusion was that they were having a difficult time distinguishing their present troubles from the day of the Lord or, or God's wrath. They were wondering, hey, these troubles that are upon us, this, this must be from the Lord. They had guys that were coming into the church going, or, or people even within the church going, well, this is what Paul was talking about. This is the Lord's wrath that has come upon us. This is God's wrath. And it's so too today, with us today. Sometimes when we experience difficult times in our own personal lives, we immediately wonder whether or not God has abandoned us, whether God is judging us, whether God has has uh, cast us off. Maybe we've committed the unpardonable sin to God and God's through with us and he's gleefully torturing us. Now, maybe that's a little, you know, extreme for you, but I actually have had a person even recently say, I think that maybe God is so over me that he's giving me things and blessing me because here's the thing. I've always had just horrible luck in life. I've had horrible fortune in life. And now all of a sudden everything's going my way. And instead of giving God the glory, they were saying this God's probably done with me. And here's what he's doing. It's like he's giving me things because he knows, listen, person, you're not going to be with me. You better live it up and have good time here on the earth because you're going to hell at the end of the day, you know? And and I'm thinking, what kind of a mind do you think God has? Who do you think God is? How do you represent the Lord? How, How is it that your mind understands the Lord? that he would be diabolical like that to bless your life because he knows that you're going to hell at the end of the rainbow and you're done? That's just not a proper view. That's how Satan would love us to see the Lord. But that's what's happening here with the Thessalonians. There are those that have come in and said, hey, this is what's happening and God, God's pouring his wrath out on us. Listen, if that's you and, and you begin to think, oh, God's against me, God's torturing me, or God's, you know, cursing me, or God is this, listen, two things I want you to do. When you encounter a situation like that, there's two things that I really, really, as a believer, I want you to do. Number one, go to the Lord honestly and openly, and listen, you, you can lie to me and you can lie to your friends, but you can't lie to God, okay? 
So God knows your heart. And so when you go before the Lord, get alone. Don't do it for show, but get alone. Get alone in a room by yourself and get on your knees. Get on your face before the Lord or just stand there and talk to the Lord and say, Lord, this misfortune that is happening, this trial that I'm going through, this this difficult time that I'm experiencing, is there something that I have done to bring this upon myself? Have, is there some rooted sin in my life that I need to root out? Is there something that is causing this to happen to me? And, and here's the thing. You may understand from the Lord, no, there's, there's nothing. Our crazy mind then takes over and goes, well, then he just likes torturing me. That's what this one person was thinking. Oh, God just likes torturing me. No, 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 no. Listen, maybe God is just rising, raising you up. He, he's allowing you to go through. Listen, there's a time where the, the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. Just because you and I become Christians doesn't mean that we're forfeit of any trial that's ever going to come our way ever again. Hey, I've got to get out a trial, you know, free card because I became a Christian no longer will I ever suffer hardship. No longer will I ever suffer tribulation. No longer will I ever suffer major trial in life. Sometimes God will take you through a major trial, a gut-wrenching trial. But like I say, go go before the Lord and, and, and seek. Is there something wrong? And, and listen, if he shows you that there's something wrong, correct it, okay? That's just simple, isn't it? That should be pretty basic. Just stop doing it. Repent, stop doing it, and don't do it anymore, right? But you know what? If God doesn't show you anything, then recognize that you might be just going through a trial. And God is going to show you that he's enough for you to see you through that difficult time in your life. Oh, you're going to be hanging on like a th- by a thread at times. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna feel like you're at the end of your rope at times. But, but it's an opportunity to lean hard into the Lord and, and to, and to learn how to, to live for the, live in the presence of the Lord. When, when you get into that time where you're just seeking God and just going, God, I need, I need you. Nobody understands. People are tired of hearing about my troubles. People are tired of hearing about my trials. God, I'm coming to you and I'm pouring it out before you. It's a great place for you to be. And it's, it's, it is a growth. It's a maturing. It's, you're, you're maturing at that time. And I know maturing is not fun. It's not fun at times. It's just, it's painful at times. But but at times, God will use what you've gone through to minister to someone else. And if you really think about it and you look back on it, you're going to see where God put those kinds of people in your life to come alongside and kind of lean in under your shoulder and kind of kind of help to hold you up as you're going through the midst of a trial in your life because they too had gone through something, maybe not exactly what you're going through, but something similar where it was an incredible trial in their own life. And they understood that there is no way through this. There's no way through this wilderness. There's no way through this forest. There is no way through this pain apart from the Lord. 
It's the only way to get through. But know this, he will get you through. And he will be with you and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The world may turn their back on you, but he'll never, he never will. And so a trial might come that way. We don't have to spiritualize it and think, think God's torturing us. God's, you know, cursing us or God's judging us on something. Listen, if you're doing something stupid, quit being stupid, okay? <laughs> but if you're not being stupid and you're, you're walking with the Lord, just know God's with you and he's, he's leading you and he's with you. There was so much. Oh, there was a, a pastor friend of mine out in California that, that I, I've used this before, but Pastor Tim Hamilton, he was out in Twin Peaks, California. Not the show, but... But, uh, yeah, Calvary Chapel, Twin Peaks. Wasn't that kind of... It was a weird show, I think. It was a psychedelic show, I think, but that not Calvary Chapel, Twin Peaks was not the psychedelic Calvary Chapel. But, yeah... Tim, he shared one time with me something that really stuck with me. He said, and he was talking about this kind of a situation. He was saying, sometimes we just have to go before the Lord and say, Lord, let not this suffering go for naught. When you get into a trial, when you get into a suffering, Lord, Lord, don't let me lose the lesson. Don't let me lose the growth. Don't let me lose the, the understanding through the midst of this trial. Don't, don't, let it, don't let this just be wasted on, whew, I'm done with that trial. I'm never going, I'm never going to even think about that thing ever again. Lord, use it. Use it for you. This is a part of my maturing process. This is part of me growing. It was a painful time, but Lord, you were with me at all times. Don't let this suffering go for naught. There was so much confusion with the Thessalonians because of these erroneous teachings teachings that Paul had to write this second letter because Paul had taught the believers uh, there that they would miss this time of God's wrath on the earth. You remember as, as we, we, uh, were reading this last week and when we were together, Paul says in verse five, do you not remember that when I was with you, I was still with you? I told you these things. Paul was only with them for like three weeks. How many times did Paul say this to them? He reiterated it over and over and over and he's going, don't you guys remember that when we talked, when I taught, when I was with you, I kept repeating these things over and over and over. And so he was saying, he was saying to them, I I told you guys about these. The confusion is, is because the trials that they were going through, they were thinking, oh man, this must be the tribulation time. And Paul's going, you need to differentiate tribulation that you go through in life and tribulation that is poured out from God. Because those are two separately different ideas. The trial that you go through and the tribulation that God is going to pour out on this earth are absolutely, completely, and totally two different things. And so Paul, he's saying, don't you remember I told you these things? You'd miss this time of God's wrath on the earth. But now, because these teachers or because some of the people in the fellowship begin to spiritualize things and go, well, it must be that the trials that we're going through in this church, you know, the hardships that we're going through, it must be that God's pouring his wrath out on us. And, and Paul's going, you guys are believers. God's not going to pour his wrath out on a believer. 
That's not what God's going to do. Not this wrath, not at all what we're talking about there in the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation, understand, it's a time that this world has never seen before nor ever shall see afterwards is what the Bible talks about, the Great Tribulation time. The Great Tribulation time is a seven-year period. We understand, spoken of by Daniel the prophet in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. We also see it written about in, in the book of Revelation. Revelation 11. Here's the thing. There's a three-and-a-half-year period. We, we can see the whole tribulation being played out from Revelation chapter 6 all the way through Revelation chapter six, or, uh, 19. You see the tribulation and all the things that are going to happen during that time. And it's a horrendous time upon the face of this earth. But Paul says, that's not for you guys as believers. He's going to take you out of here. You're gone. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. I don't want you to be ignorant about this catching away, this This rapture, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. You're not going to be here during God's wrath. And though those in the church, those other teachers that would come in and begin to teach, and those people who would forge the letter as if it was from Paul, saying, oh no, we're in the middle of the wrath of God, Paul says, don't be deceived by these guys. And I would say the same thing to us today. If you're going through a tough time, don't let somebody come in here and say, oh, you're in the middle of the great great tribulation. I'm going to talk about that here in just a second. There was so much confusion because of these erroneous teachings that Paul had to write this second letter because Paul had taught the believers that there would, that they would miss this time of God's wrath on the earth. And here they are now being told that the day of the Lord had come upon them. That's what he was saying here. Verse, verse two, not, don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had already come. No, it hasn't come. It hasn't come. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I, st- I told you these things? Do you remember? We talked about these things, Paul said. And now they've come in and they've these guys have deceived you into thinking that the trouble that you're going through is the wrath of God. Now, there's a problem with interpretation even today, even to this day, of even this passage. Let me clear a little bit of it up. There's some teachers out there that will say that we are currently living in the days of the Great Tribulation. That's what these guys were trying to teach the, the, the believers there in Thessalonica. And Paul says, this hogwash, we're not living in there. Okay, I told you, I, when I was with you, I told you over and over and over, this is not God's wrath. This is not God's wrath. This isn't the Great Tribulation. This is not the day of the Lord. There are some teachers today that say that, that, uh, the teaching, that the teaching that we as believers will miss the day, this is what they say, that we as believers will miss this day of God's wrath, it's a very arrogant thing to say, than that we are just as subject to God's wrath as the unbeliever, and thus, thus it is unknown whether or not we will be subjected to none, some, or all of God's wrath. So we don't know. So there's some teachers out there, well, we don't know if we're going to, you know, fall under this God's wrath. We just don't know. We don't know. Can we? I think we can know. 
There are some other teachers out there that say that we as believers will endure some of God's wrath as we endure uh, the first three and a half years of the tribulation and that the great tribulation is actually the... He, we, we're going to hit the first three and a half years of the tribulation, but then the great tribulation starts the second three and a half years of that seven-year period. And so we're going to miss the second three and a half year period. And what that's called is really the mid-tribulation theory, if you will, the mid-tribulation rapture theory. There are others that, uh, other teachers out there that say that we as believers, we will enter the seven year tribulation period, but we will be raptured out before any major wrath comes down upon the earth. That's called the pre-wrath rapture theory. Okay? That's kind of being espoused by, I'm sorry, but you know, the, 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 the man who was you know, responsible for putting the the Holy Land experience together. Marvin Rosenthal, he wrote a book on it. I I love going up to the Holy Land experience. It's a cool thing. But there's a lot of books of his up there that will teach you this. You're going to go through the tribulation until the major wrath comes on. That's called the pre-wrath rapture, okay, theory. I, I don't agree with that. There are other teachers that... Much like the second view that I, I pointed out that says, hey, we can't know. They emphatically say that we will endure the whole of God's wrath, all seven year period, all the whole seven year tribulation period, and that we will then be raptured off the earth at the end of the seven year tribulation. This is a, what is called the post tribulational rapture theory, if you will. And then there's what I believe is the accurate view which I believe Paul is attempting to correct here in this letter with his second letter to the Thessalonians, which says, we will by no means endure God's wrath of the tribulation, but we will be ushered out via the rapture prior to God's pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. This is called the pre-tribulational rapture theory. I, that's one I espouse. That's one I teach from this pulpit. I believe that's the one that Paul teaches in his letters. I believe that that's what is taught in Scripture. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, look at what he says. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. This is his first letter to the Thessalonians. He says this. We are to wait for his son, Jesus Christ, from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from what? The wrath to come. Right? What's he talking about? Let's look up in verse or chapter 5. Paul's describing this day of the Lord. He just got done talking about the rapture there in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And, and he says, I want you to comfort each other with these words, okay? The rapture's going to happen, all right? He says, let me back up a little bit. You know, if we believe, verse 14 of chapter 4, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who are dead in Jesus. They're, they're, they sleep or they're, they're dead. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, what, the day that Jesus is going to take us back, until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or who are dead. For the Lord himself, here's a big big verse here, the next two verses, for the Lord himself, 
Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. That word caught up, harpazo, you remember, we, there's no word for rapture in the Bible. That's a Latin word, rapturos, that is taken from the harpazo Greek that is being spoken of here. So whatever you want to call that day, you're going to be caught up. Okay, let's call it the great catching up. Or the, the, the great harpazo, you know, or, or the great rapturos, whatever you want to call it, that day is going to come where the voice, where Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo, raptured, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord." This isn't spiritualizing anything. Paul's not trying to spiritualize anything. He's saying this is an actual fact that's going to happen. That's hard for us to fathom that because we go, where else do we have anything that we can liken that unto? Well, there's nothing. But that's like saying there is no God because there's nothing that we can equate to a God. You know, we can't fathom a no beginning and no end God. There has to be a beginning. Think about that for a second in a dark room looking at a candle. He has no beginning and no end. He's always been. Yeah, that's God. No, there's got to be a beginning and there's got to be an end because we as human beings, we only know beginning and end. This pulpit used to be a tree. And and I, I don't know how they make steel, but this steel, all right? But it's no longer a tree. It's a pulpit. But it, it started out as a, as a seed or as a as a, a sprout and then it turned into a tree and someone cut it down and they they there was a beginning and one day it may burn i don't know well i know ultimately it's going to burn but one day i don't know what's going to happen to this but there's going to be an end to this there's a beginning and an end that's all we know but explain that the everlasting never beginning never ending of god i can't so I don't understand how we're going to be raptured. All I know is that that's what the Bible says. Are our clothes going to still be here? I don't know. Let's get in shape, okay? <laughs> we did. I, I know I've shared this before. We did that. We did that back when we had a Christian Youth Fellowship (CYF) is what we called it back when I was growing up. Uh, we had a Sunday night study with all of us high school kids, you know, and, and one day, one of these guys who, who was kind of always a disruption in, in, in there, he was kind of a, he was always kind of like the, the, the guy who, uh, had to be the center of attention. And he had, I gotta go to the bathroom, you know, in the middle of a study, and he gets up and goes to the bathroom and makes a big scene going to the bathroom, and, and our, our youth pastor, I think it was Bob Anderson at the time, Bob Anderson said, okay, hey, everybody, take your jackets off, put them on the ground, take off your shoes, leave them there, and let's all run out of the room. And let's leave everything here. And so when he came back in, he thought the rapture had happened. Now, he, 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 he didn't, but he's like, what happened, you know? But it was fun. Those are the, that's a Christian game, you know? When, when does the world go, hey, let's play rapture, you know? <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> so we played the rapture game on the kid. But, but here's the thing, there's a rapture coming. That's what Jesus, that's what Paul's talking about to the Thessalonians. He says, so here's what I want. We're going to be caught up to the Lord in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's comforting. 
That should be comforting. But then he goes on in, in chapter 5, and he says this, and I know that you're thinking, did we lose our place? No, we didn't lose our place. Uh, we're setting a ground stage, the, 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 the foundation. We're going to be raptured, right? But look at, we're talking about the wrath right now, right? God's wrath. It says, but concerning the times and the seasons, chapter 5, verse 1, brethren, you have no read that I need that I should write to you. Why is Paul saying that? He's saying because I've just said it ad nauseum over and over and over to you. That's what he was reiterating in chapter 2, verse 5, where he was saying, don't you remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? This is what Paul's saying. You have no need that I should write these things to you because I've told you them over and over and over again. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes so comes as a thief in the night. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. That's why I was talking about during worship. We don't know. Could be today. Could be in a minute, imminent, right? He could come back at any moment. Are you ready? That's the question. The day of the Lord comes, so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, look, now Paul differentiates believers from unbelievers here, does he? Does he not? He says, listen, the times that you guys have no need that I should write to you, you yourselves know. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the church in Thessalonia. But he says, but when they say, who's they? They are those who do not have a relationship with Christ. They are the ones that are outside of the church. They are the ones that don't have, that, that aren't saved. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon who? Them, not the believers, but upon the unbelievers, but upon the worldly people, not the saved, it's the unsaved. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brother, I love the word but in the Bible, because it usually is a contrast that says, this is how horrible your life, but God stepped in, right? I, I, I pointed that out in one of my devotions this last week or one of my little, I don't even know what I call those things, but those little things that I send to you. And, and, and so, but God, that's a glorious word. Don't ever get tired of hearing, but God. But you, brethren, he's now contrasting. He's saying, this thing, they're not gonna escape this wrath from God. But you, brethren, you're not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, guys, let's not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, they sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Listen, big verse. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, this should be a comfort to you guys, he says. Comfort one another with these words. We're not appointed unto wrath. So I, I reject all of those other views. I believe that Paul states very clearly, we aren't going to be here for that time. Why? Why? If it's any other way, we don't understand the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't understand 
the cross. All of God's wrath that were coming, that was going to come down upon you because you were Christ rejecting, you were God rejecting until you came to Christ. Until you acknowledge God's perfect gift in Jesus Christ sent to you. Until you understood that, until you received it, until you acknowledged, God, your gift of Jesus Christ to me, for me, not because of me, not because of anything that I've done, not because of any goodness that I am, but because of your great love that you had towards me, you sent your son, even while I was still a sinner, Romans 5, 8 says, right? that God demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I, When you acknowledge that, when you acknowledge that the only way to heaven, the only way to have your sins forgiven is through the blood of Jesus Christ and the torture that he endured upon the cross. He took your sin upon him. Then God poured his wrath upon his son. As Jesus hung on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's it's a dynamic that we, to this day, don't understand. It's a dynamic that nobody had understood up to that point and even to this day until you die to have God's back turned on you, to have God say, I can't bear you anymore. My back is turned. Father. It's the reason Jesus sweat, as it were, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as it were, great drops of blood. He, he, he said, Father, if there be any other way for this cup to pass, let it be. But, but nevertheless, this is what I came here for. Nevertheless, your will be done. Thereby signifying there was no other way to secure your salvation and my salvation other than Jesus going to the cross. For God to pour his wrath upon his son. For God to judge your sin upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. You see, I can't bear my own sin and stand right before God. That's why Jesus was the innocent lamb. That's why John the Baptist in John chapter 1 you know, in verse 51, I believe is what it is, where John is baptizing in the Jordan River and, and he's baptizing the Jordan River. Hopefully the guy was up when he said this. He saw Jesus, you know. He's baptizing and all of a sudden Jesus walking on the, line, the, the, the shoreline and he goes, behold, the Lamb of God, pointing at Jesus, who takes away what? The sins of the world, you and me and all who would believe. That's God's wrath. God's wrath came down upon Christ. Your, the God, God's wrath that was due you was poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. Man, if we fail to see that, we fail to understand the sacrifice. We fail to understand the significance of the cross. Gang, don't ever not look at the cross and understand that was your sin upon that cross. Jesus didn't die for his sin. He had no sin. It's the reason he was the innocent lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, you and me. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, right? We know that verse. Paul's saying, you're not 
appointed to wrath? That's what he was saying in chapter you know, 5, verse 9. God didn't appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. That would be, you know what it would be? If we would have to endure God's wrath, that would be what we call double jeopardy. We're being judged twice for our sin. We got our sin judged on the shoulders of Jesus, but now we're going to have to have it judged again on us as if we could pay for anything. We can't. We can't. Our salvation was paid through the blood of Jesus Christ. And and, and so, gang, we'll leave it there today, but here's the thing. Recognize that if you're a believer today and you walk out of these doors, what a special, awesome privilege it is to be representing Jesus today. You will not have to endure the wrath of God. Jesus says, oh, unless those days were shortened (laughs) during that time of tribulation, Matthew chapter 24, said no flesh would survive. That time of tribulation this world has never seen. So when you see something bad happen, you see some calamity that comes down upon the earth. Maybe it's a hurricane. Maybe it's an earthquake. Maybe it's some other type of a, what they call an act of God. God oftentimes gets the blame for things that are not his fault. But here's the thing. When you look at that and you go, man, it can't get any worse. Just know this. It can get a lot worse. And it's going to get a lot, of, a lot worse. Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, people are going to say, mountains, please fall on us and kill us that we might escape the wrath of the Lamb. Because it's going to be a horrible time. But know this, that time where God is pouring out that seven-year period, that tribulation time, that great tribulation That is God pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. Have you rejected Christ? Are you a Christian? If you're an unbeliever, listen, that's your future. I'm not trying to scare you into heaven. If I could, I would. Can't. But here's the thing. That's what the Bible says. If you've rejected Christ, that's your future. But for me as a believer, I haven't rejected Christ. I've accepted him. And so God's wrath is not coming down upon me because I've accepted. I've accepted his son. I haven't rejected his son. His wrath is not. His wrath has already been poured out on me, but I never felt it. It was his son that felt it. (laughs) And so, man, we have a reason to walk out of this building today very, very relieved and very happy and very joyous that we have a God that loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son into the world that the world would be saved through him, that anyone who would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God's wrath does not abide upon us. It fell upon his son. And if you've received that, you don't have to worry about God's wrath anymore. The wrath of God has already been paid on your Savior, Jesus' shoulders.
for your sin, for your salvation. And so gang, let's walk out of here, man. Joyous knowing, man, that's one thing I don't have to worry about anymore. That, Paul had to spend two letters writing to the church and saying, stop letting people rip you off and deceive you. Live free. Live in Jesus. Live for the Lord. Live for God. Amen. Does that make sense? Father, thank you so much for today. God, make this a truth and sink it down deep into our heart that this is not this would not have to be a lesson that would have to be taught over and over and over and over again to us. But Lord, we would get it today. As Paul had to say, oh, you guys, you know, I, when I was with you, I told you these things many times. God, that's what I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be a pastor, a herald of yours, teaching your kids, don't worry about God's wrath. It's already been poured out on his son, Jesus, for you. You don't have to worry about that. Now, live. Live for Jesus. Live for the Lord. Live with purpose today for God. Pointing people to him. Loving people. And so, Lord, I pray that for us. I pray that for every believer in here. If there's anybody in here that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that today is a, I know it's probably a a very long and boring day for them, but Lord, I pray that there was something that happened in their heart. I hope that there was something that happened that caused their heart to skip a bit and say, wait, I'm not ready. I don't know. They've been talking about in a minute, imminent return of Jesus that he could actually come back before this day is over. Am I ready? If you're not ready, would you simply just open up your heart to Jesus right now? There's not the magic in the words. There's not a, 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 a prayer that is detailed out in the Bible that you must pray. God knows your heart. But I can't save you and nobody, the person next to you can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. And that's why he came. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. If you're not a believer of Christ today, you're, you're lost. But know this, Jesus came to seek and to save you. And you simply need to acknowledge him. You simply need to accept him. Recognize that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. When he cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was crying out for you. When he said, Father, into your hand, I commit my spirit. It is finished. He was saying that the penalty phase was completed for you to where now all you must simply do. And I know it sounds simple, but God made it simple so that we wouldn't try to complicate it. It's simply by believing, confessing with your mouth Jesus is its Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you shall be saved. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Lord, I believe you're Lord. I believe you're my Lord. I believe you went to the cross for me. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I believe you raised from the dead for me. I want to be yours. I I, want to be a child. I I, want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of you.
I want to be right with you, God. I accept your gift of Jesus on my behalf. I accept that you you did that for me. I confess my sin. I give you my life. And I take Jesus upon me. I accept him as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life. Change me. Make me new. I want to live for you. I want to know that if today were my final day, I would be in heaven with you. Make my life different from this day forward. Help me to follow you. Help me to know what that means. Show me the way, Lord. If that's your prayer, and you said anything even similar to that, God knows your heart. He sees your heart. It's not the magic in the words that we just said. It's the acknowledgement of what God gave to you. And if you've accepted Christ today, then you know what? The wrath of God does no longer abide upon you. It's between you and the Lord. Not me. I didn't give it. It's what God gave. Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us, Lord, we can walk out of this place blessed and joyous knowing that we can live freely for you. We don't have to worry about your wrath coming down upon us. We can be free to live our life for you from this day forward. Never second-guessing it ever again. Thank you, God, for reassuring us of those things, even this day. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.